0: Sp- in the morning.
1: We welcome, B-Movie fans, to another B-Movie interview. I'm Paul. And I'm Corey. And joining us today is Don John. John is a writer, director, producer, musician, and founder of Justice Sparks Films. John is here to talk about his film, Do No Harm. Don, welcome to our show.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate you reaching out and most of all, watching my film.
1: Definitely. Thanks for joining. So what inspired you to become a filmmaker? Well, believe it or not, I've been making movies since I was like a little
2: kid. Um, I just turned 53, so you kind of give a little uh, longevity of how long I've been pursuing this. I was about 12 years old when some friends in my neighborhood had a 8mm uh, film camera. And I think what really... Sticks with me more than anything was after we made the film. We actually cut the film. I can remember doing it, It had a little uh, flashlight, light bulb, and we would roll the little thing. And you know, you actually splice the film, flip it over, put the tape on, that kind of thing. When we put the film together, of course, there's no sound. What I remember, I was in the seventh grade when this happened, is how fun it was. We got to take that film to class to class. And as rumors started to spread around my school, Everybody's like, man, did y'all see that $16 man, man film? And so we spent like three days getting out of class, taking that film from class to class to class. And I'll never forget that. And what was probably the most exciting part was the guy that was the star was, was kind of a, a, a dork. I mean, he was a big dork and people kind of made fun of him because he was kind of a dork. But after that movie, he became like like a celebrity. Uh, you know, like hey, man, that was a cool film, man, we just thought it, man, you were so cool in that. And so that that stuck with me. Um, just that whole experience of not that I was wanting to be famous, but just that feeling that, that I got when people said they saw my movie. You know, it wasn't my movie. We, we made it all together, but it, that I think that stuck with me. And then when I was in about ninth grade, I got my own eight millimeter camera. And then I started making my own movies, and then that just progressed and progressed and progressed until, um, you know, here I am today still making it. And then I ended up making a, a living at doing it.
1: Very cool. Yeah, it's like um, you figure out what you want early and then you stick with it. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about your filmmaking career so far? well um like i said i started out and
2: um i had no idea how to you know i no one ever told me about film school i wish i I knew there was such a thing as a film school and so the first time that i actually saw that i could make a living at this was in the late 80s i had moved to nashville to pursue music like you said in the intro i'm a a composer and so i pursued a music career to nashville and while I was there, I was working, you know, a ton of different jobs like every other starving musician. And while I was at one job, I just was really frustrated and I started thinking, what could I do other than music that I really enjoy? And I thought about doing something with video. At that time, I didn't know anything about film. So I literally started going through the yellow pages while I was at the job that I was at, uh, which was pretty funny. Uh, they didn't know I was doing that, but I'm going through yellow pages. I'm calling video companies and... I I had a little script that I'd written out, and usually I wouldn't even get 30 minutes into the script, and they'd hang up on me. Uh, You know, I'd say, hi, my name's Don, uh, I don't have any experience, but I'm wanting to try to, you know, make a living at video work, would you be willing to click? And so, called this one company, it was called Action Video, and I went through my whole spiel, and I I kept almost, like, pausing, thinking, when's he going to hang up? And the guy listens and there's this like long pause and I'd actually gotten through my entire script and he said, I tell you what, he goes, uh, you sound like a pretty neat guy. And he said, uh, I'm going to be doing a wedding. This is my best Tennessee accent. And, uh, if you want to give it a shot, I got an extra camera. So that's how it kind of started. It was the late eighties on super VHS. I started working with this guy filming weddings that turned into getting more work as a camera person that turned into doing editing. Uh, my first uh, computer editing experience before computers were fast enough to edit. Um, back in the day, they used to have uh, what was called SMPTE time code, which was burned onto the tape and you were able to at least use the computer to control the tape. Um, so I learned how to edit on three-quarter and a half inch. And so I just kept progressing, I kept progressing and pro- kept progressing. and. In the back of my mind, I was still wanting to make a film, but I couldn't get that cinematic look that, you know, when I went to the theaters, what I didn't understand was the reason why it looked different than video is because film is shot at 24 frames a second, video is shot at 30 frames. So it wasn't until uh, the early 2000s when uh, Panasonic, I think, was the first company to develop 24p on a video camera. And when I saw that, that's when I said to myself I can finally make movies and 2004 was when I when I was doing all the video stuff through the 80s through the 90s I was still working full-time jobs and kinda of doing the weddings on the side but I really wanted to do it as a, as a full-time living. It wasn't until 2004 when I, I left a corporate job making good money and didn't even have my own equipment at that point. I had a computer I was renting cameras, and I started doing uh, commercial work. And doing that for about two years, I was able to buy my first high-definition camera. Um, I bought the HVX200, so if anybody's a camera buff. At the time, that camera was awesome. It shot uh, 720, 24p, and also 1080i, uh, which isn't you know the 1080, 24p that we have today, but at that time, it was interlaced. And from that, that's really what kind of launched me into the film career. Because when I made my first short, On My Last Breath, that's when I knew I could do this. Because for the first time, I was seeing that cinematic image that I saw when I went to the theaters. And so I just kept going from there. So like I said, 2004 was when I first uh, went out on my own, but 2007 is really what began the film career. And so from that point I've made six shorts and then uh, twenty thirteen was when I made my first feature. The reason why it took me so long is because like I had said before we started rolling on this interview was anytime you're trying to make something, there's gotta be some kind of budget, whether it's a hundred dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. And so for a long period of time, I was going to California. I was going anywhere I could that somebody said, hey, we want to meet you. We want to help finance your films. And I just kept hitting brick wall, brick wall, brick wall, brick wall. And so finally, uh, I was about to turn 50 years old. And I was laying in bed one night. And I told my wife, I said, I'm, I'm really depressed. And she goes, what's the matter? And I said, I'm about to turn 50. And my dream my whole life has been to make a feature film. And so we sat down and we pulled our sources together. Um, a little bit of savings I had, a little bit of savings she had. And we had about $6,500. And so from that was born Do No Harm. And Do No Harm was basically written based on not having much income to work with. I've been doing a lot of production. You kind of get a feel of you know, what you can do for this amount of money. And so I literally started writing that script knowing that this was all the money that I had. It's not that I even wanted to make a horror film, but as you know, horror films, people love them. And you can also get away with you know low budget because uh, people almost expect horror movies to become low budget. And so that's sort of how that whole thing started. And so that's really the, the whole career. Um, and I'm still in that process of how do I figure out, uh, you know, I'm still doing commercial work, I'm still doing nonprofit work, I'm still doing stuff on the side, but my goal is to be like the Roger Corman where, you know, he'd make a little film, he'd make enough money to help him make the next film, make enough money to make the next film. So that's where I'm at. Um, I'm hoping that somehow I can get some money coming in from Do No Harm, maybe through this interview, who knows, And we can make dead generations that's that's my next project which by the way i wrote that before i wrote do no harm um but i ended up making do no harm first because uh dead generations is a little bit more budget um but i'm actually thinking about this year we can talk about this later but i'm determined i don't know how i'm going to do it but i've kind of said to myself 2017 hell or high water, I'm going to make Dead Generations. So maybe you guys could be a part of that. That would be really incredible if you knew that today, in this interview, we are, we're opening up the universe uh, for Dead Generations.
1: Definitely, man. We'll do whatever we can to help you out. What filmmakers would you say inspired your filmmaking style the most? Uh, I don't really,
2: you know, it's really weird. I, I didn't really, I wasn't even um, aware of how I was, my psyche was developing. You know, definitely Spielberg's there, uh, Ridley Scott is there, George Lucas, Star Wars. Definitely somebody that I have studied, and that's Roger Deacons. If you don't know who he is, he's one of the best cinematographers. And I think that more than filmmakers, I was subconsciously taking in the cinematography and how, how I could duplicate that. And then as I started to learn and I started to grow, then I started to gravitate towards uh, films that appeal to me cinematically. Like some, some of the films that I have in my collection, the films themselves, I don't really like them as much as I just wanted to watch the cinematography. Same thing with sometimes the score. So there's like a, like if you went through my movie collection, there's it's just, it's just kind of like my music, it's all over the place. I guess to answer the question, there really hasn't been that one director. I would say probably, you know, going back, Ridley Scott uh, consistently is a director that when he makes a movie, I got to go see it. And, And I watch his movies a lot because if you know anything about Ridley Scott, he was a camera person. He was an art director. So his films, not only are they so good, but cinematically, his films are absolutely gorgeous. One influence I just thought of that that I've tried to mimic with Ridley Scott. Are you guys Ridley Scott fans by chance? Do you like Ridley Scott?
1: Yeah, I've seen um um alien. He's the guy he made Alien, alien didn't he? Yes. The yeah. Original. Yeah. I was yeah. like I'm pretty sure he's the the alien guy. But yeah, he's he's great.
0: One of the best sci fi horror mixes ever. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he. Uh, if you if you
2: go through his films, he does what I call uh, texture, and he even talks about it because I listen to all audio commentaries. He always has some kind of something floating, whether it's, you know, water or, you know, particles, snow, rain. And I love that. Like, you know, he did Blade Runner. Uh, You know, everybody hated him because all the smoke and rain. But that film is just, that's what makes it so incredible is that atmosphere that he created. So I know that that rubbed off on me is trying to create that you know, atmosphere that Ridley Scott is absolutely famous for. So I hope that answers that question.
0: Definitely. Now, you said, you know, just like Ridley Scott, you know, has worked in multiple roles in filmmaking. You've worked in a lot of different roles in filmmaking, too. You know, which would you say is your favorite role in the filmmaking process?
2: That question always comes up, and to be completely honest, I, I can't think that there's one thing that I like the least or the most uh, I get excited about the entire process even from going out in my garage and, and building a prop because um, like on my first feet uh, short on my last breath I made the guns out of one two before literally went online made a got a picture of the m1 gun and I you know cut it out on a two before I painted it I put some hardware on it. So from that, going out into the woods, clearing land, uh, I bought like 10 pounds of flour to make it look like snow. So there's really not any part. I mean, I've, I've literally wept when people have started reading my script for the first time, when I come here to compose. I guess if I had to pick one thing that was my very, very favorite, and it's not necessarily a particular job, but you've got pre-production, production, and post-production, and I think I get the most excited when I'm actually shooting uh, during the production phase, because that's when I call it the magic, and I guess that role, I'm director, cinematographer, audio, I'm doing everything anyway, but that, that part where you're seeing the actors doing their thing, and sometimes that magic happens, sometimes it's not scripted, Sometimes it is scripted, but it comes out better because like when we did Do No Harm, Bo, the lead character, he never had acted before. This was his first ever movie role, and he was amazing. And so to see that kind of stuff, I would have to say that's my favorite part. But as far as the, my favorite role, now I do. I do like composing. I'm a, I'm a musician before anything. I do like to compose, but I, I like the whole whole process. I love to write scripts, so it, it's, it'd be really hard for me to say uh, this is a this is my absolute favorite. I, it's just the whole process of filmmaking. I love it, except trying to get it sold. That's the part I hate. That's the most frustrating. <laughs> so how, how do you make money doing this? That's that's the part that drives me insane.
1: You can definitely understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Do you no know Harm, um, could you tell us a bit about the general plot, the ideas behind it? Yeah,
2: I'll try not to. I don't want to give too much of the script away. You know, they, they say when you're writing a script, always write something that you're familiar with. And so I came up with the whole doctor thing because I had worked at Vanderbilt University for about four years. So I was familiar with some doctor stuff, the whole residency thing. So that was sort of the the, the backdrop for that. And then... I didn't want to just do some horror movie where you got some chicks half naked running through the woods, they trip, and some dude comes out of the woods with a machete or something and chops them up. I wanted to have a little bit of, of a plot, and I, I have no idea where I came up with the whole... Well, I don't want to give it away. Uh, I don't know where I came up with the concept of, you know, what happens at the end where they're really surprised that he is doing what he's doing. But basically it goes back to the only way that I could do it for, for cheap was I had to find a single location. You know, There is multiple locations in the film, but most of the film takes place at one location. But what I was able to do is I was able to use that one location to, to make you think we were at other places, but actually that almost entire film was at this one place. So really the, the genesis for that script was as I'm writing it, it's like, oh, my God, that's going to cost too much money. I would delete that scene, and I just kept writing it based on not having more money to work with. If I had like more money, uh, there would have been more blood. There would have been more guts. There would have been a lot more stuff going on. So without telling too much about the script, the script is basically your typical horror thing. You've got a bunch of kids. They get lost. They run into some weird people in a dark, secluded place and then crazy shit starts to happen to them. That's just about every horror film. But I added the romance thing, which could have killed it for horror viewers. I don't know. But I just wrote what I felt, and that's what came out. So I don't know if that answered your question or not about the script. I, I, I'm real careful about it. I don't want to like tell you exactly what happened to the script, and then somebody's like, you know, why would I even watch it? You just told me what the whole movie's about
1: that's perfect. Um, kind of give a good summary of what it is.
2: Yeah, I, I think the best thing to do is is watch the trailer. And if you, you know, a lot of people they like the trailer, and a lot of people have told me, you know, I'm not really sure what it's about, but the trailer is really killer. Well, that was the whole point is to get you to watch it. You know, I didn't want to start giving away a bunch of stuff. So, so yeah, I just I want you to go watch the movie. Take a chance on an independent film.
0: Now, What would you say is the most unique aspect of Do No Harm, something that makes it stand out from other horror movies?
2: I've probably gotten over 100 reviews on this film uh, since 2013. They've all been really good, but there's only been about 10 people that, to me, have gotten the real horror. Uh, It's an intellectual, psychological horror, and that was something that I purposely wrote, hoping that people would get that, And that, to me, is the most unique part.
1: What qualities do you think make a great film? And could you give us some examples of films that you would consider really great? Well,
2: I'll just tell you uh, what I bought for my birthday. uh, Pinocchio was just released, the original
1: Pinocchio from
2: Disney. And that film, even though it's so old... That film still holds up, and I'll tell you the scene that I just watched it for the first time. The last time I saw Pinocchio was on VHS, and I bought it on iTunes. I got to watch it in high def yesterday. The scene that stands out to me, which is almost like a horror movie. have You guys guys have seen Pinocchio, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Remember the scene in Pleasure Island when he starts to turn into the donkey? Yeah. How could you forget? Okay. That scene has stuck with me since a kid where the hands turn into the pul- to the hooves and the reaction of pinocchio then they show the silhouette of him turning into the donkey that is horror and to be able to do that in a cartoon uh, that's incredible another example of that uh, did you guys see the peter jackson peter jackson con- uh, king kong
1: I did not. No, I never. I never got around seeing it. I, I've seen you it. Need to, you need to see
2: it. That's another one of my. I love. I love King Kong. Well, this. I thought Peter Jackson did an incredible job. Well, this is another time where I'm in the theater. I had to go see it in the theater. Yeah, and everybody knows what happens to King Kong. He gets killed. He's up on the Empire State Building. So here it is. The end of the the movie. King Kong's up on the Empire State Building. Uh, Faye Ray, or not Faye Ray, but whatever her name is. Naomi Watts. She's crying because he's dying. I'm crying cause King Kong's dying. And as I'm watching King Kong fall down the Empire State Building, I had this weird moment, and I realized everything I'm watching here is not even real. This was all created in the computer. And so, to me, when a director is able to, just like in pinocchio, those those are that was the uh, cells, plastic cells that people are painting on or whatever. But yet, they brought that much emotion. To me, that's... I go to movies for, for three reasons. I want to either cry, I want to laugh, or I want to be inspired. If a film does that to me, no matter what it is, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I just watched... Uh, have you guys seen... I just watched Deepwater Horizon uh, last night. Phenomenal film. Absolutely phenomenal. And, and the reason why it blew me away is because a director, he also did... Uh, Lone Survivor. He obviously likes Ma- Mark Wahlberg his second film, Mark Wahlberg. But his his style of filming is just in your face, real, and it makes you, you know, when you're in a theater and you and you you're kind of moving with the punches and you're oh god, you know that kind of feeling. That that was going on in the Deepwater Horizon as they're showing these dudes get you know the pressures coming up out of the well and they're flying back and glasses cutting through them. Um, You know when a when a film takes you to that environment, to where you're ducking and you know you're yelling, "Get out of there!" That to me is is good filmmaking. And and to talk about, I actually had one of the distributors, which now I kick myself in the butt. Uh, I didn't sign with her because she didn't tell me she was going to do the things that the other guy did. Now looking back on that, I think she probably would have done a better job. But anyway. She said, "When she watched Do No Harm, she was actually yelling at the television." And she said, "She has not done that in years." And she said, "I loved your film." So that, to me, is good filmmaking. And if I went through, you know, all the movies that I have, I have, you know, probably two thousand movies in my own collection. Um, that's what I look for. Uh, and my wife and I will even say this: like we go to a, to a movie when the credits are rolling. We both lean over to each other and I said, Would you want to watch that again? And she's like, No, not really. So it's kind of like if you don't, if you're not inspired enough to watch it again, to me, the film, and whatever reason, it, it failed on whatever level. But, but you know, those films that you want to watch over and over, no matter what, like The Great uh, Lebowski, I've, I've watched that a thousand times and I could watch it tonight and probably wet myself laughing. That's um, a great
1: film. Those are
2: the films. You know, Raising Arizona, another Coen Brothers classic. That's that's sort of what I look for. And I, and I hope that, you know, I get that with my films. You know, I hope that people like watching my movies. I don't know if they are, but, you know, that's what I aspire to, that hopefully they would watch them again and again when they're needing a laugh or they need to get inspired or, or you know, whatever. So that, that's what I look for is – those three things: I want to laugh, I want to cry, I want to be inspired.
1: Kind of like films that really bring you into it and like take you into the world that you're watching.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And and if the film doesn't do that, no matter what the genre. Um, we just watched another film that was just absolutely. It took me by surprise how good it was, and that's the one race about the guy that was in the Olympics, in the the black guy, the first black guy in the Which Olympics. Um, incredible movie, and it didn't get good reviews, but I thought it was really good because it made you feel that character, you you felt his humiliation, and um, it made you think, you know, it, it made you think, and that's, you know, inspiration, it makes you want to be a better person, and those kind of things, so that that's what I look for in a filmmaker, because ultimately, yes, I make movies, but I love movies, um, I love watching movies, I mean, obviously, I've watched, you know, five movies in the last two days, so... You know, that's all my wife and I do. I have a surround sound. We have projection, uh, 8 by 12 foot screen. So, you know, we love watching movies.
0: Now, there's a, there's a question we like to ask here. Uh, Paul and I get into it about this every so often. Um, so we like to get other people's opinions. What is your opinion of hairless cats?
2: I really haven't given it much thought, to be honest. I, I personally am not a, a cat lover. I could I could do without ever seeing another cat ever. Unless it's a big cat, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure what to say about the hairless cat thing.
1: I, th- I think that's the first time we we don't have anyone for either of our arguments. Yeah, most <laughs> people are like either like, oh, I I hate them, they're disgusting, or I love them. So that's that's cool. It's like a neutral kind of you know they'll, they'll exist. I'll coincide with them, but just don't want them around too much. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm not a I'm not a cat lover. But even if you asked me about hairless dogs, I would be like, I don't know where y'all are going with that. I'm just gonna.
1: Leave it. at
0: <laughs> leave it at that. You Definitely respect that. So, where uh, where can we follow you to learn more about just a, a Spark Films and any projects that you have uh, coming up in the future?
2: I have turned into a social media animal in the last couple of years, so I'd say uh, probably you know follow me on Facebook or Twitter because uh, I mean that's how we found each other was on Twitter. Um, I literally spend, uh, well in the morning when I'm drinking my coffee, I do my Facebook, I do my Twitter feeds, that kind of thing. The website, it's a lot more harder to, you know, do updates because you want to do new graphics and that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, you can get a lot of information. You, you want to definitely push people to, probably the easiest thing would be to go to justiceparkfilms.com. And then they have the links to Facebook, the links to Twitter. They have VHX, so that's probably where I would try to drive people. But ultimately, I want them to follow me on uh, VHX because that's where they can buy my movies, and then to follow me on Twitter and follow me on Facebook because that's where I'm. That's where I'm. You know, posting stuff daily. Um, you know, like 2017, I, I kind of made a proclamation. Excuse me, that. I'm going to make Dead Generations, Uh, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but one thing that I've learned, and um, if you've got a goal, you've got to put motion, you can't just keep saying it, Uh, and I'm actually going to start scouting locations here in Wilmington for Dead Generations, without any money, I don't have any money saved up for this film, but I'm going to start believing that something's going to happen. and some, somehow I'm going to make this film. So I'm not actually going to start looking at uh, locations because uh, I'm just ready, guys. I mean, if, if you guys know anybody that wants to make a film with me, tell them to call me. I'm, I'm just itching. I have I have more equipment than I've ever had. I've got better equipment than I've ever had. But yet I'm not making any movies right now, and it's just driving me nuts because uh, I think I'm a really good filmmaker and the reason why my films aren't as good as they probably could be is because money you know I mean when you watch a big-budget film the reason why it looks so cool is because they had millions of dollars to make it they could blow up cars they had crane shots they had you know stuntmen they had blood caplets they had all this stuff you know when you have seven thousand dollars a big-budget film spends more than that on catering food but I'm I'm ready to to do something I don't care what it is I'm almost to the point where I might I might write another script based on, you know, $100 if that's if that's all I can come up with. I'm going to make something. I, let's just say this. When you hook me up 2018 you look me up, there's going to be something new from Don John's. I don't care what it is. I hope it's Dead Generations, but I'm going to make something this year. So um, so follow me on justiceparkfilms.com and in that way all the links to all my other stuff, they can find them. That's probably the easiest.
1: Very cool. Before we go, would you like to tell us a little bit about Dead Generations? like um, Maybe like a quick synopsis or like just a little bit of a summary?
2: Absolutely. Uh, dead Generations, the best way to describe it is The Walking Dead makes the X-Files. Um, the one pager would be, uh, there's a guy, John Sanders, he lives in the big city to kind of get away from it all. He goes to the, to the small town of Red Buck Lake. And as he's out riding his bike, he sees some kind of weird stuff going on. These guys just don't look quite human. And they're rolling these big blue 55-gallon barrel drums in these uh, barns. And as he tries to approach them, uh, this guy comes up and tells him to get off the private property. And so he just gets this real feeling that just something's not right. He calls his best friend back in the city and convinces him to come down. And so they go into the city. I mean, they go out there back to that spot to try to figure out, you know, what's going on. You know, these people don't look quite human. And, you know, his friend's just telling him to just leave it alone. You're probably, you know, exaggerating. But then his friend sees that, yeah, something's quite not right. And so that's sort of the synopsis of the film. And um, I'll just leave it at that, kind of give you a little taste of it. But um, I originally had that film budgeted for $165,000. Uh, couldn't raise any funds for it, and I dropped it down to like $130,000. Then I got it down to like $30,000, and that's sort of where I'm at. Um, but like I told you, I'm at this point. If I have to make this film for $10,000 or whatever, I'm I'm going to try to make it. And the, and the reason why there's so much budget is one, there's there's some some major special effects, there's some car crashes, there's some blowing up stuff and there's a lot of makeup uh, because it's kind of like I said it's the walking dead they're kind of zombie type creatures and I don't want them to look cheesy so there's there's some budgeted makeup there so what you can say to the folks out there and help me promote this is that understand that if you subscribe to my channel VHX that $4.99 subscription that's going to go to help me make Dead Generations or any other film, you know, or anything that you buy on VHX. That's going to help me make this film. So I've been kind of using that as a way to, if you want to see Dead Generations made, then buy some of my films and help help me make it. Um, so that's, that's what Dead Generations is. In a nutshell, you can go to deadgenerations.com. The synopsis is there. I even put together, I don't know if you guys listened to it, I actually put together a radio show of some select scenes. It's very well done. Uh, I did that to try to create some excitement for the film. And unfortunately, like a lot of things that I do, it just didn't get traction. Uh, so maybe with you guys and your show, you can share it. Um, Definitely. But it's basically like the old days radio show. Um, and it's actually real scenes from the script. So that'll give you more of an idea of what the film's about.
1: Sounds cool. Hopefully, um, yeah, we'll do what we can to help promote it and hopefully we can um, get it kicked off.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and anything I can do to, you know, promote you guys, too. I mean,
1: you see I've been tweeting about you and try to help you all do some stuff, too. Thank you. We appreciate it. So there you have it, folks. Do No Harm, a horror film by Don John and Just a Spark Films. You can watch it at tv, along with all of Don's other films. Don, thank you for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. You're welcome, and thanks for having me, and uh, it's been fun. Thank you very much. If you have an independent film you're working on and would like to discuss it, you can email us at bmoviebros at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at bmoviebros or my personal Twitter at bmoviepaul. Don't forget to listen to our podcast. We review a different B-movie each week. New episodes every Friday on our website, bmoviebros.com. If you have a movie you'd like us to review or any additional comments, feel free to leave a message below. This has been another B-movie interview. We are the B-movie bros saying... Be brave, be alive, and be back next time.